0: Hello and welcome back to QC Uncut, your source for uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. We are the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities, and it's because of you folks wanting to listen to completely unedited conversation with people of interest. I'm Sean Leary, your charming and delightful host. And today we have, there's a first today for the last year, um, as if anyone didn't know, there's been flooding all over Davenport, and throughout the last year, pretty much, I've been trying to get someone from Davenport City Government to appear on this show. And most of the time, they have just completely ignored my outreach. Uh, some of them have just have said no, but most of the people on the city council, the mayor, whoever, have just completely ignored me reaching out to them. Well, finally, we have someone who has decided to be on the show and it's maria dickman who is the second ward alderman she was elected in 2015 began as second ward alderman in 2016 and is up for re-election this fall maria thank you very much for agreeing to appear on the show and being the first davenport city government uh politician to do so
1: i'm glad to be here
0: now, you obviously did not know much about this show, and that's why you decided to be on, right?
1: <laughs> I I like to try new things. Sometimes that works out well, and hopefully this will be one of those cases.
0: Fingers crossed, Maria. Finger, fingers crossed. So um, I've done some research on you, and let's start off with just the general question I was going to ask anybody from Davenport. What the hell happened, and how do you stop it from happening again?
1: I'm assuming you're referring to the flood.
0: Correct. I'm fl- yeah, the flood. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um. Well, I-, I hate to disappoint you. I might not be the best person on the planet to ask because, as you might have noticed in your research, my ward is it's
0: nowhere near the flood.
1: nowhere near the flood.
0: But that said, there is so many decisions that were made by the city council at whole, mm-hmm. and going back to the Hesco barriers and the decision to you know have that be your means of flood prevention as opposed to, you know, I don't know, building a wall or something. Um, and then also leading to the ill-fated letter in which the city said that they weren't necessarily there to protect businesses in downtown, even though businesses are pretty much what drives downtown.
1: So I guess I'm kind of going to start at the end and work backwards Uh because that's the way it makes the most sense to me. So our biggest interest is to obviously make sure that we're spending our money wisely to protect the economic and neighborhood and and whatnot interests of the downtown area of the areas that were um, unfortunately flooded, and so you know we we've got the flood task force, but I think we're also going to want to look at it just as an engineering standpoint um, in terms of. You know there there are some people that like we've talked about previously like as soon as they heard you know even before there was a flooding incident you know flood wall flood wall it had to be a flood wall um i want to look at the numbers Mm -hmm. on what a flood wall was cost because like anything you know if if you if you're going to spend 40 million dollars on something that might save you 20 million dollars it's not the greatest return on investment. Right. Um, you know, at the same time, we want to make sure that we are protecting our interests, the business interests, the downtown, things like that. Um, so I'm most interested in, you know, we, we've seen the reports now from the, the Corps of Engineers, and there is no smoking gun of, oh, this person definitely screwed this thing up um you know if if we had known this or if we'd done that or there was malice you know someone sabotaged this thing thing or th- that thing um it was it should have hel- held it didn't it could have been this it could have been that it could have been this other thing um sometimes perfect storms happen um and no
0: nope, pun intended
1: yeah sorry about that <laughs> um and so we are we're trying to learn everything we can from the maybe not most forward steps that were taken mm-hmm. um you know the the letter went out um from administration you know there's the role of city council is not necessarily you know hop in skip do this that the other thing you know we provide general oversight of you know we hire someone city administrator to do all that stuff Because the city, you know, someone to get hired as a city administrator has to have a lot of degrees and a lot of business experience and things like that. And we don't.
0: Right, sure. So,
1: especially since there are 11 of us, if you include the mayor, you know, for me to come in and say, well, this is the way I want you to do flood protection. And, you know, somebody else in a different ward says, well, I think this is the way you should do flood protection, it would be a nightmare and it would be terribly ineffective and inefficient. Um, So, to a certain degree, we do have to rely on staff expertise and i i'd heard after the fact that there were you know calls for people to be fired and and things like that um i don't think it's the best time like during a crisis to say hey we're firing this
0: person
1: right we're gonna take care take out the person who has the most expertise on how to deal with this um if they're unwilling to learn from you know the things that went wrong then that might be a a time for some some exit counseling, Mm -hmm. as we call it. But, um, you know, we're very actively working with the Corps of Engineers, uh, the downtown businesses. You know, there's all these people who are putting in input, being heard, and we're going to look at, okay, what can we do? I mean, most (laughs) scientists at least agree that storms are going to continue getting worse and and things like that. Um, So, unfortunately, you know, cities kind of get this back end of the deal thing where we can't do a ton i mean we can do our part to um work on you know climate related issues but most of the time we're just dealing with the fallout from more severe storms and things like that um so taking all the information we can and trying to come up with the best way to spend the resources we have
0: now um farmer's almanac just said we're gonna have a horrible winter. And when you look at the floods in the spring, a lot of that came from the fact that we had a horrible winter. Not not just us, but up north as well. And so you're getting all of the melting of this snow that is increasing the river levels and is coming downstream. And so if we have another winter the same as we did this past winter where there's a lot of precipitation and unusually high amount, then invariably we're going to find ourselves in the exact same position next spring now what is being done at this point to look at that decision and go well you know what we need to prepare for this just in case because really that's why you prepare is for things of this nature and conversely if there's another situation like this in the spring i mean that's that's conjecture but that's really not going to be pretty. Is that going to be kind of the final nail in the coffin on this whole temporary barrier thing? And you're finally going to look at, yeah, you know, maybe it's a good idea to to build something of a wall. Maybe just even like what Rock Island has, where there's sort of temporary wall where you can kind of put them in like Lego blocks and sort of build them. And But you can also take them out so that that per- preserves the river view. Because... I don't know if you've been to Rock Island in the downtown, but you you can't see the river from down there, and it's a pretty beautiful view i uh,
1: I prefer the Davenport view
0: personally <laughs> of course you do you dang Iowan.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm a transplant but we'll we'll get to that later um no, so um so far. Um, the you know the very immediate step was to make sure that you know kind of looking at all the uh, instructions I'm forgetting the term for it now but they have you know basically what do you do if it floods instructions Mm -hmm. so they you know went through all that and made sure like we're we're at the best operating procedure you know the most recommended operating procedures we are also so the point of uh, failure was um where the bend is mm-hmm. for lack of a more descriptive term, and so we are looking at uh, getting rid of the medians that are there right now, and that would allow the equipment it, it would allow us to put two rows and to basically have a more of a fail safe um so and then be able to inspect um better and so that's from my reading of the report that was the most likely place where things didn't go right
0: (laughs) now wasn't it it wasn't reinforced properly is that the the issue of it
1: it wasn't that it wasn't reinforced it's that it was there for a while and there was a bunch of rain Mm -hmm. and so excuse me got a little trickle in my throat so the um it's possible that the rain washed out some of the sand from the dry side Uh and that because the median was there and once it was all in place, We weren't able to do proper inspections that the you know the the duration of it being there and the amount of storms that we had that got the dry supposedly dry side wet um, washed out enough of a the sand that there's something a term they use called the coefficient of friction that basically there wasn't enough friction and enough weight and you know all you need is one failure point Sure. yeah (laughs) Um, and so by eliminating the medians and then potentially roughing up the road surface a little bit where those barriers would be um, will hopefully fix whatever didn't work this time. Um, and, you know, of course, we'll, you know, the, the long range flood planning will we'll work with our community partners. And if it does turn out that the most cost effective option is a flood wall, then you know if it's if that's what the citizens want, I'm not gonna you know stand there and oppose what is in the best interest of the city. I'm just concerned that a lot of the, it it seems like a kind of a silver bullet fix, mm-hmm. and I'm very skeptical of anything that seems like a silver bullet fix because you know even full time flood will, walls can fail, and you know I don't I don't want us to all get swept up in a fairy you know this this tale of oh, well, if we just build a flood wall, it'll fix everything. Um, Because the word just usually means you're probably on the wrong course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But isn't Davenport is the only major city um, along this river path that does not have a flood wall? Isn't that correct?
1: no um well i mean i guess depending on how you're defining major Mm -hmm. um burlington uh also uses the hesco barriers and their hesco barriers in a different configuration also failed um so i think that kind of goes to show that
0: (laughs) is there any other company that builds barriers out there other than hesco maybe
1: (laughs) well i mean i think it's it just shows that it was there was a
0: it's not a ringing endorsement, Maria. <laughs> it,
1: it's not, but you know, to look at kind of the thirty thousand foot view, mm-hmm. like you were saying, the the lots of ice melting. There yeah. was heavy flow. There was much higher flow. There was storms. In addition, um, it was it was not a good set of factors, um, and so you know, I think. Sometimes you have to look around and say, boy, things went wrong a lot of places. What happened?
0: Right, right. Um, and aside from, I mean, was it prod- predominantly the fact that these barriers failed? What were other factors that might have come into play in regard to the calamity that occurred In the spring not just here But you, obviously you did a little bit of Research in terms of Burlington I was not aware of That um, are there any other cities In which this occurred and what Was the um, common denominator And how can that be prevented
1: In terms of Common denominator um, I mean I think it it was that there the you know the, the the barriers Were a bit of a common denominator But kind of one of the reasons why HESCO is the the company that makes such things is because, generally speaking, they are very successful. You know, they've been up for 20 years Mm -hmm. in places where proper maintenance is done. Um, And so I think, I don't know exactly what caused the failure in other places, I know from reading the report here that the the failure was likely, that the maintenance wasn't able to be completed as well as it needed to be, and that was due to the structural factors having to do with the median. Mm -hmm. Now I realize as this is coming out of my mouth that I'm sure it's going to be taken as gospel. This is, you know, (laughs) this is my perspective, my working theory.
0: But this is – well, this is one of the advantages of this show is that if I was just interviewing you for the TV news or the newspapers or whatever, I'd have to take that quote and just put it in there. With this show, you can explain that. You can put it into context and perspective so that people – Will have the opportunity to listen to the entire thing, whether or not they will, or whether the little cherry pick things and you know whatever supports their opinions is you know up for debate. But at least it's there. The context and perspective is there for those who would like it.
1: Yes, there. Uh, you know, sometimes you know, we, if we hear a hundred things and two of those things really stand out to us, you know, even if they are not in alignment with the other hundred things, that's how it goes. <laughs>
0: No, the, obviously, there are a number of businesses that were negatively in, impacted by this. Um, the two reasons that keep on being floated against a flood wall are, one, the river view, which, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's that seems like... To me, it seems like a little bit of a flimsy excuse. When you look at Rock Island, you look at—I mean, Rock Island is right across the river, and they have a nice river view. Regardless of your feelings on that, Maria, uh, <laughs> we do have a nice river view. But um, but yeah, and and they maintain that along with the flood wall, and so it is possible to have both. The other reason that has been given is we don't want to push this down the river, which to me seems. I don't know. It seems full, kind of falsely altruistic. Honestly, I, I I hear that, and that seems like kind of a a bullshit excuse to just not spend the money right now. I mean, I'd I'd have a lot more respect if people just said, "Hey, listen, this is going to cost a lot of money, and we don't know whether it's financially prudent to do this as opposed to a temporary wall." So, really, are those two excuses just, like, flimsy crapola that are thrown on to just, like, say that we, we don't know whether we want to spend the money? Or are those, like, legit things that people have a deeply passionate feeling about?
1: So, I'll address first the, the view. Um, art is subjective. And I would say scenery is kind of an art. Mm-hmm. Um, so, some people do feel that passionately. Some people they're like "Eh, it's water i'll see it from wherever um so i can't necessarily identify you know how important that is to uh any particular community member it does seem like whenever the the flood wall issue is raised that the people who are very attached to the view as is come out and speak um so there's there's my my guesstimate on that one um in terms of not pushing it down the river um I don't know if it's falsely altruistic it's I mean if if you're downriver (laughs) you probably appreciate it (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I mean at least for me it's it's all about kind of a return on investment you know so say it costs us you know X number of dollars per year to do the temporary flood protection if it would cost a hundred X to build a flood wall that's only gonna last 50 years that's not prudent.
0: Well, precisely, and I can respect that. I, again, it's like, do you feel that the people upriver who have built walls, those cities, and their city councils are evil people that just hate Davenport and want to push the the water down?
1: I, I definitely would not call them evil. <laughs> um,
0: you know, but we all- and How many other decisions that Davenport makes have the well being of those downriver in mind?
1: Well, I think it's not necessarily specifically to Downriver as so much as community minded. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're not going to say like, well, if we don't address this issue, then it'll just become somebody else's problem. And, you know, go forth and, you know, sucks to be you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think cities that have built walls are... They made a decision based on the information that they had available at the time. Um, whether or not they are comfortable with that or regret that, I don't know. Um, in terms of is that what we want to do, it doesn't seem like that is kind of where there's a lot of inertia. I know there's a lot of people who say, like, oh, yeah, absolutely, flood wall, but there are also a lot of people who say, absolutely not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when you start looking at the numbers, it you know that that prudent thing about is it you know is it worth spending that much money to do some sort of bigger longer term type fix you know it's it is amazing how quickly costs can add up when you
0: start doing construction oh yeah sure sure and again i you know i know that there've been a number of different numbers out there and proposals out there and i i just honestly i think that would be a little bit more direct and you know a little i don't want to say honest cause, you know but i'm just saying if somebody just came forth and said hey we're not sure how much money this is going to cost and um we need to look at it and or it's just not financially prudent it's more financially prudent to do the temporary than fine um how much did it cost the city in terms of damages how much did it cost you guys to do all the cleanup and to handle loss of business anything of that nature that the city was on the hook for
1: so, most of our costs were staff time, um, both for putting up the barriers right. and then cleaning it up afterwards. I am going to probably get this wrong. Um, so, hopefully, you can check with our finance director. It was, it was in the neighborhood of, of a million or two, if mm-hmm. I'm recalling correctly, um, which sounds like a lot until you talk about right, a $40 yeah. million dollar flood wall.
0: Sure. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, you know, in terms of, you know, the cost to the businesses, um, you know, that's, that's what flood insurance is for. Is for. Right. Um, you know, hopefully places had flood insurance. Um, it is kind of one of those legacy issues. You know, Davenport is, is a very uh, historic city, and so we have a lot of legacy issues, as we like to call them. Um, and part of that is that, you know, construction was done um, when either they didn't care or didn't know. That this was an area that was gonna flood Um, and it's it's become an economic hub now and so we're kind of uh, in retrospect figuring out well how do we protect it when severe weather happens
0: um that seems to be another issue that it doesn't come up as much now but it did come up like back in the 2000s and such Um, is the debate urban sprawl versus the Um, rejuvenation of the downtown. And at this point, Davenport has kind of both. I mean, the downtown has been rejuvenated, but you also have that continued outreach. Um, How do you manage and balance both? How do you think it's best for the city to do so?
1: So I think sprawl tends to just happen. I -hmm. think it's not necessarily something city planners adore so much as, you know, it's green spaces the most cost effective to build on often and so that's where developers want to go um you know in terms of like doing um pre-site certification or um you know tax incentives or anything of that nature um i mean i think our our money is definitely best spent in infill and the numbers bear that out when you when you look into it you know, you. Um, I'll give the, the hilltop campus as an example. <laughs> yeah, right. um, you know, Scott um has done, you know, I would almost think he's a wizard with what he's able to do with, you know,
0: pittance. There was a recent full moon, and I'm pretty sure I saw him in robes and a hat, Maria, so you may not be wrong.
1: <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, he's taken uh, just, you know, a ton of elbow grease and uh, a little bit of money um, and really taken that area from struggling to you know you it's buds now but mm. it's you know i think they're going to continue to bloom and and we're going to see you know it's it's starting to you know take that development that was done a little earlier than that you know from downtown and it's starting to bring it up the hill right so i forgot what the question was <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I was talking about, you know, because one of the things, and this is leading into a question that goes back to one of the things you said that was a priority in regard to um, your reelection was economic development um, within your ward. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, your ward's kind of on the outskirts. I mean, and so you can see a little bit of sprawl, but you also like... A lot of other wards have buildings that were previous businesses that can be renovated and reused. And so I think um, what we're seeing is a lot of development in the downtown and a lot of reuse of buildings that a lot of which are historical buildings. And then we're seeing a lot of sprawl like spread out towards the end. But then there are a lot of businesses kind of in the middle of the city or maybe on the west end that could be repurposed instead of, you know, and new business, like, completely coming in on green space mm-hmm. up on the far end of town.
1: Yeah, and so there's a couple different things we're doing. On the commercial side, um, there's something called tax incremental funding. Um, and so within economic sense, um, you know, we explore, you know, how we can do that for uh, commercial enterprises and stuff like that. The opportunity zones that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we work with all the different levels of government and go after grants whenever, wherever we can. And uh, the city actually hired a consultant to basically help us navigate the federal process. And I think the return on investment is already like six, six to one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, going after those, those federal dollars for, you know, what can we do to incentivize filling in where we're already paying for sewers. <laughs> we already have to upkeep the roads, uh-huh. uh, you know, the electricity, the right. lights, all that kind of stuff. We don't have to build any more. Um, so, on the you know housing side, and then um, the newest thing that you know government can kind of seem like it works at a glacial pace sometime i I realize um but so something um that actually has been driven a lot by Alderman Rawson of the Fifth Ward is this urban revitalization specifically mm-hmm. and targeting money so that a neighborhood really feels it Mm -hmm. um you know if you you know put a drop of a drop in a bucket of water eh, it's not much if you put a drop in a little you know teacup then you notice a difference um and so really focusing so the the dream project uh came up with a geographical region and there was some discussion about was it still too big um but where it's hopefully going to be small enough that with the incentives of its twenty five thousand dollars grant towards any per- new purchaser that they can put anyway into um, revitalizing the home, or fifteen towards current owners to um, do any uh, out- so outdoor or you know major mechanical repairs, um, and then you know in other areas we've done. Um, you know curb repairs or use the community the federal you know community development block grant money mm-hmm. to you know build a, a couple of seed homes to you know try to get you know those those new families who are going to be really active in the community. Um, you know neighborhoods are kind of this le- living breathing thing right. and I think that um, you know when you're not necessarily paying attention, you don't notice it as much that you know if if you've got just one person on the block who you know is is paying attention who will you know yell at the youngsters if they're causing trouble mm-hmm. or will you know check on somebody if they see that they you know haven't left their house in a couple of days you know having something like that it it spreads this you know oh i'm actually i actually care about where I live right. um there's a an excellent book I read recently called um It's like love where you live experiments or something like that. Um, And it talked about wayfinding. And that's something that, you know, the downtown Davenport partnership has worked on a lot. Um, And then we're also there's this kind of obscure Iowa state law called uh, 657A. And if we're able to prove that, you know, a bank or you know, some person who's just sitting on a title is, is not doing anything with it um, and it's just creating problems in our city, that we're able to take the, the title and give it to somebody who's going to then develop it into somewhere someone can live, you know.
0: <laughs> so you're talking about vacant spaces that are being kept vacant for tax purposes.
1: Something like that, yes. Yeah, and it's, it might not be tax purposes. It might just be they, can't they, they forgot it, that. you know. Like, there's, you know, if it's being held by an LLC in California, uh-huh. and you know, nothing against California, but you're <laughs> in Nebraska, wherever, <laughs> but some different state um, that, you know, they're... Um, they're not necessarily paying attention to what's happening with it um and that that does remind me of of one of the the challenges and something that we're kind of working on on the um, lobbying side of things is that you know the state has signaled that they're not going to be uh honoring their um Pledge to do the backfill of the taxes that they said they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes it very difficult to budget because if we have the money, we want to be investing it for you know, growing the pie in the future. If we don't have the money, then we're in trouble and we need to um, you know, make sure we're not pledging to allocate that somewhere that it would then be needed um so we're kind of budgeting at this like halfway in between mark and then also the uh, something they created a new category so there's commercial property taxes where they're taxed at 90 percent of the the valuation which you know i'm getting into the the weeds a little here but (laughs) um and then residential where they are taxed at Fifty percent of the the valuation, um, and so your property value. You know, you, you think like, oh, you know, I well, I bought my house for one hundred thousand dollars, but it might actually be valuated at fifty thousand dollars, and then you know the or seventy five, and then the the state has a certain rollback amount where you know like so last year they tweaked that a little bit so people's property taxes went up a little bit but it wasn't because anything of the city of davenport Mm -hmm. did it was that the state decided to to change the amount of the rollback so you know sometimes we get calls about like well why did you do this i'm just like well we didn't Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) um we're sorry but (laughs) how do you combat that i mean oftentimes i mean and that's again it's one of the reasons why i started this show is so that people could have the ability to talk about these things in depth and and offer the context and perspective in the big picture on it. How do you, as a government official, get that word out to people in a more effective manner. I know you're looking at me like, you know, hell out I know. <laughs> um, when you're dependent upon, sometimes you're dependent upon a media which does not have the space to do so. If you're a newspaper, you're going to get some quotes and a couple soundbites. That's about it. Same thing if you're on, you know, the, the, the news. Um, it's difficult for them to offer, given their space limitations. And you've got things that are a little bit more complex than something that can fit into a soundbite or a couple of pair Paragraphs that you know you need to explain to people how can you better do that
1: if i find a better way i will uh, (laughs) let you know i mean if if obviously if someone asks me i will kind of have that conversation and hope that their eyes don't start to glaze over too badly um most people they don't care to go further into the explanation Mm -hmm. um you know if i have you know said you know well it's it's actually the state you know that's they're annoyed but it doesn't actually you know it doesn't actually change anything at that point right. um you know that a lot of change in governance is not done you know at the day you know like it's going to happen this day it's right. going to be you know five years out ten years out you know um planting the seed of an idea for you know like the like the gabe's playground or the urkel field those did not happen overnight. Mm. that was you know many many years and many many people getting together and saying, you know we really want to focus on having more inclusivity in our playgrounds and in our sports uh, facilities and things like that um, you know there are some things that can be done much more quickly, like um, adding more of those the swings that are um, able to to swing people who are uh, not, not fully able-bodied or whatnot Mm i'm i'm probably using some ableist language so sorry about that but (laughs) 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 um but yeah so i mean there if it's like a quick and cheap thing you know sometimes you can have a suggestion of like hey how about you have a chalk festival and somebody's like yeah i'm gonna run with that and Mm -hmm. we can make it happen that year if it's let's build a you know million dollar miracle field that's gonna take a little planning
0: Um, That leads into, actually, um, one of the things you mentioned, there are a number of things you mentioned when you got reelected that were goals of yours. Um, Youth engagement was one of them. Uh, What have you done to increase youth engagement, and why was that something that you mentioned as a particularly um, important uh, part of your platform?
1: Yeah, so that one um, has definitely been a bit of a struggle. Um, I don't know if I've fully been able... Well, I I haven't been able to live up to it the way, as much as I would have liked to. Um, I held a couple of events for um, youth, you know, worked with a local organization that's a gym down on uh, 12th Street, Um, you know, tried to do some things there, tried to make news information a little more digestible um, for kids. And I think, you know, one of the things that has at least been a, a, a great thing was, is you know, that now the party in the parks that we're doing, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily drive that personally, but I've been a, a participant and um, actually one of the things that Alderman Condon came up with was that we, we should have stickers for the city council. Um, and, you know, kind of it's planting that seed of an idea of like, oh, what is a city council? What do they mm-hmm. do? Um, and so, you know, we give out the little stickers to the kids and say like, oh, you can be a junior city council person. And it's not necessarily that, you know, tomorrow they're going to be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be on a board or a commission or something, Mm. which I mean, we would love if they (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to hold my breath, but it's those little ways of, you know, reaching out and saying, like, this is how your life is impacted. So, like, any time that I have an opportunity to talk to kids and I we tried to bring some groups in to do kind of like a tour, like a little mini Davenport U of, um, you know, this is kind of how your city works 101 um, and, you know, talk to them about things that are much more relatable to them like you know your parks or you know your fire department or or stuff like that you know they're not gonna understand you know oh the economic development with the tiff so that we could get fiber access to everybody like (laughs) um but figuring out ways to make it more relatable to them and we do have you know we'll we'll try to have scout troops come in um i'm actually Starting a scout troop this year, my uh, older daughter is is starting kindergarten, so she's starting Girl Scouts. So I'm hoping that you know maybe through that avenue I can uh, encourage more troops to kind of participate and attend a meeting and and earn those badges.
0: That brings up another thing that I wasn't even going to ask you, but it's kind of an interesting thing. Given that your daughter is a Girl Scout, what do you think about the whole thing about whether there should be just Scouts or Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or do you think that there's anything sexist in regard to it in terms of um if they offer the same things mm-hmm. then what is is there any you know anything detrimental to there being a Girl Scouts and a Boy Scouts simply because it's a heritage organization like as long as Girls can learn the same things that the boys are learning and boys can learn the same things that the girls are learning. Is there, is there really, you know, do you think that there should be just one polyglot of scouts? That's it.
1: So I'm not for forcing organizations to merge. Cause mm-hmm. I don't think that would be a good idea. It, you know, part of it is that the, there's a legacy of, you know, I think boy scouts was founded first and right. then girl scouts was founded, um, Probably in relation to that, yeah. um, I should know the history a little better. Probably, but I don't. Uh, in terms of you know now, you know the the Boy Scouts does allow girls in, and I yeah. think sometimes yeah. they call call them just Scout Troops. Yeah. I'm not terribly mm-hmm. familiar. Um, I chose Girl Scouts because I had a really positive experience with it. As a youth um, I actually rejoined as a cadet which mm-hmm. is middle school for those of you who don't follow mm-hmm. the uh, the stages um, and I stayed up through it you know all the way through I graduated high school um, I still keep in contact with my former troop mates I'm still friends with my former Girl Scout leader um, I can go to her for advice and things like that so I i found it to be a positive experience um in terms of it being you know sexist you know it's only really sexist when it becomes kind of an exclusionary thing uh in my opinion at least and so you know there's but there is this kind of a balance between there if there are sometimes it's you need spaces where you feel judgment free Mm. um and so like When So there's an event that happens usually, uh, you know, a yearly in different places across the the U.S. called Take Back the Night. Mm -hmm. And they always have one space dedicated for just women to be able to share if they were assaulted because it can be very traumatizing to reshare if there are men in the room. Just not because those men did anything to them, just because it it reminds them and things like that. Um, And so I you know, encourage, you know, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts to do things together. And I think, in general, the organizations do tend to work together pretty mm. well. Um, I know there's a Cub Scout or Boy Scout or whatnot, whatever it's called, uh, a troop at, uh, where my daughter goes, um, and, you know, I'd be happy to work with them. But I, I do kind of like the idea of having a space where, you know, you can have peers that are similar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also having spaces where, you know, you get to reach out of your comfort zone. Right. So that was a really long way of saying, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's good you're certain on that, Maria. Um yeah, I actually have a friend who works for Girl Scouts and I interviewed for a job with Girl Scouts. Um I think they're an excellent organization, honestly. I don't see any wrong with there being a girl scouts and being a boy scouts i mean um particularly like as kids go into adolescence biologically they're going to be going through some different things and so there's really nothing I i don't see there's anything wrong in regard to that as long as the people are happy with it and like you said there isn't anything exclusionary if boys want to learn certain skills that girl scouts traditionally teach cool if girls want to learn likewise the same skills that Boy Scouts traditionally teach. That's cool too. They should be just one giant course catalog that they can, you know, that they can take from or, or whatever. Then yeah. it's yeah. kind of.
1: You can always have you know co meetings where right. you get to meet a wider variety of people, um, but then you can also have the smaller meetings where it's a more intimate group so that you can have that you know, kind of bonding experience where you can share things that you maybe would not share in a mixed
0: setting. Yeah, yeah, it just makes sense. Totally going off on a tangent. But anyway, um, two of the other things that you mentioned in terms of um, your reelection campaign. Uh, crime, uh, which kind of goes into that. One of the things you mentioned were diversionary activities. And um, I actually have a master's degree in education and early childhood development from the University of Southern California. And um, graduated summa cum laude, 4.0. And one of the things that we talked about in the educational and childhood development training was the fact that kids who have more goals, who are more goal oriented, who have more options, um, regardless of economic strata, children who have more opportunities to get into more productive activities. Tend to stay out of trouble, and they tend to have more, you know, positive goal setting experiences and positive academic experiences in their lives. So the fact that you mentioned diversionary activities, I think is that is that's kind of a huge thing. What was it that um, made you decide to? to go in that direction in terms of preventing crime in terms of you know getting kids out of um out of that potentially negative cycle uh and what research if any had you done in terms of bringing that to the table
1: so i went i was campaigning you know it was um the summer where there was a lot of uh, friction between kind of communities and the police um because of some of the the incidents that happened and um i was kind of kind of having this thing in my head of of like i don't want that to happen here mm-hmm. um and you know no no department is going to be perfect uh, i would like to think that davenport is roughly tra- you know relatively transparent about where we've learned from maybe not doing the best practices in the past and uh, you know our Our NETS unit, which is uh, Neighborhoods Energized to Succeed. We were actually just talking about this at council yesterday. Like one of our officers from that, every time he shows up somewhere, like kids go running to him and they're like, Hey, Andrew, I'm so excited! You know. Um, But in terms of, you know, why diversion? Is that once a crime's been committed, that's too late. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, there's already a victim, so right. either their car has been stolen, or you know something something has gone has gone wrong. Um, and also, you're not going to you know you're not going to fix the system by just arresting some you know right. pr- segment of kids because it's it's about the neighborhood environment that fosters kind of those decisions to. Um, maybe do something that's more short, short-term rewarding, but long-term negative. Um, and so this is an area where kind of by mandate, we have to work with our, our community partners because we don't have any tax levy for any health and human services. So we've been you know, working very strongly with the county to get the juvenile assessment center, which will be it will help with our police force because instead of having to spend However long filling out paperwork, waiting for you know a kid's parents to show up, they can get them to the diversion center. Um, and instead of having it be you know punishment, 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 it's hey, where could we have made a better decision? How can we make a bet- better decision next time? Okay, let's get you and your parents connected with whatever resources you need, so that most likely you won't follow down this path that we don't want you to follow down. And it's it's not gonna be 100%. And I think that's where a lot of diversion type programs struggle is that people kind of expect it to be 100%. You know, there are gonna be some cases where it's just somebody's really stuck on that path of I'm, I'm gonna steal cars or whatever it right. is. Um, but for the most part, especially when you start kind of shrinking the pool, of potentially negatively influenced kids it's going to you know it's going to be better for those kids it's going to be better for the neighborhoods and then those kids it will have kind of a generational effect of they you know you talk now and you you'll find you know people who are doing like big brothers big sisters mm-hmm. or things like that who say you know I had a big and he really changed my life and right. then you know they take on a couple smalls or whatever littles or whatever they're called right um, and it does kind of feel like you're you know fighting a tide sometimes, because you know poverty is a very challenging issue, and that drives a lot of um, behaviors that oh, yeah. are maybe not the most desirable um but it's survival um and so I try to not be judgmental about it because I understand that it's you know you just if you're if all you have is what you've got right now um and you don't look like you have a future, you are just surviving and so making sure we get the people who know how to to address that mindset and to work with them to kind of helpfully make it so they understand and that they actually do have more possibilities. Uh, Another big thing that I'm really proud of that, you know, I I kind of saw that we were, there were a lot of kids that, you know, we would try to like send them away. There's a facility called Eldora and we would quote fix the kids Mm -hmm. um, and then we'd send them right back to where they were. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, that didn't work very well. Um, so now there's a new program that Vera French has gotten uh, pilot money to do. We're hoping to get Medicaid to start cover the, covering the funding once they, they see a cost savings. Um, and that's got a, a very high return on investment. It's you know, empirically based research, all that kind of stuff of working with the whole unit. So not just the kid, but their caretakers, their uh, peers, their siblings, um, and really working on what is needed to kind of help. Build the foundation for a stronger future. For a future where you know we're we're practicing impulse control and we're looking at college or trade school or you know uh, entrepreneurship or, or whatever it is. Mm. So that was something that else that I saw. And I I kind of personally see this as like a selfish thing. I'm thinking you know like 20 years from now I'm I'm going to need a cardiologist. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather <laughs> have the full pool of potential cardiologists or you know whatever you know career um, and because it, it's going to be you know technology innovation and businesses and um, especially you know the the more experiences someone has had and you know the more chances you get to meet somebody who had a different you know growing up experience than you you know you could get somebody from you know the the wilderness in Canada who meets somebody who grew up in you know at Thirteenth and Gaines and they because they've had such different experiences um, that as long as you know we haven't kind of crippled the ability of the person who grew up in downtown Davenport to to excel by not you know by starving them of resources you know they, they might come up with the next multi-million dollar idea who knows mm-hmm. so it's it's it, I see it as kind of selfish in the long run kind of way is mm-hmm. I I want to invest in the future so that I can live a really cool future
0: it's, it's interesting you mentioned that um the Eldora thing I actually worked for Safer Foundation for a while and Safer Foundation um We worked with uh, local teens who were at risk, and during the day, um, I would help them with their their English and their math and word skills and things like that so that they could um, catch up academically or pass the GED or whatever they needed to do. And then in the evening time, in the late afternoon into the evening, um, we would take them and myself and a, a group of um of kind of mentors would sort of teach some social skills and how to deal with conflict and how to deal with anger management and things of that nature and and it was the combination of the two that i think that worked really well but looking at i mean i've i've kind of kept in touch or kept tabs on some of the kids that that i taught and mentored and you're right i mean there's you know some of the kids have done well and have moved on and you know have have stayed on the straight and narrow and other kids heartbreakingly enough have not i mean i remember there was one kid i taught who is you know he's in jail now for attempted murder and this kid he was a great kid i mean i he's one of my favorite students and it's just really it was sad when i saw that in the news but that's what happens sometimes is, you know, you're it's a lot of it is environment. And it's the same thing with with kids in schools where um, it's people blame the teachers and they blame the curriculums and things of that nature. But when it comes down to it, one of the biggest predictors of success is having an active parent. Or having an active adult in your life to give you some sense of structure and to make sure that you're going on the right path. So, um,
1: I will add um, so, one thing that the city is doing specifically that um, might not sound like a a crime related um, thing. (laughs) you're popular right now
0: i know I keep, um, I keep getting these i keep getting these calls from telemarketers i keep getting the ones from um my apple computer even though i don't have an apple computer has been compromised and uh you know my my internet uh, service has been compromised and they owe me they want to give me two hundred and ninety nine dollars maria but i somehow i don't believe that this is the case if i if i had paid for something before they'd probably have my credit card information but anyway go ahead
1: um so um walkability is Mm -hmm. actually you know access to you know potential jobs education things like that um so you know we in terms of like busing you know we're we're kind of at the mercy of what the federal government is willing to help us out with to get uh, busing but in terms of neighborhood walkability you know that's been a real focus of at least a a handful of the aldermen in terms of you know what what can we do for you know mixed-use neighborhoods so it's not you know you have to walk through you know 10 blocks of houses to be able to get to you know the closest job opportunity or store you know it's you know can you get an apartment where you know you can walk to work uh, be able to get there reliably things like that um and so Sometimes it's related to juveniles. Sometimes it's related to their parents. um, But that ability to get where you need to go is an important thing because then your economic opportunities are wider.
0: Um, One of the things uh, I noticed in my research of you in particular is... um, I've always found, i am I've been a big proponent of them getting rid of Columbus Day and changing it to Indigenous People's Day because I've always found from the time I was a kid the idea of like Columbus discovering a country where there were already people to be asinine. I just thought it was stupid I and mean, I remember being a little kid and asking, well who if there were people here, how did he discover it?" And not to mention the fact that there were previous explorers that came here, etc. And, you know, to say that he popularized the routes from Europe, okay, that's a little bit more accurate, albeit negligible, given the fact that there were other European explorers that came here. Um, but there's just so much gray area in terms of that that it just seems ridiculous now that factually based. There, sh- there should not be a Columbus Day. However, there's a lot of research and a lot of support when you look at it. The fact that indigenous people's civilization was far more advanced than history, at least the prescribed history in classrooms, would have us believe. And therefore, there's, it's undeniable that indigenous peoples had a far greater impact positively on the evolution of this country than columbus did and so to me it makes perfect sense to just get rid of columbus day and change it to indigenous people's day um you actually within the davenport city council tried to get that to happen why don't you talk a little bit about why you did that how it happened and where it went
1: so it was uh, close to the end of my first term, and um, you know, I, I hoped I would get reelected, but I wasn't sure. But I was like, "All right, if there's going to be, you know, if, if I'm not going to get any more time, I at least, you know, want to try to do something." Um, I I did not realize at the time that we didn't have any like set recurring things that we acknowledge, um, and I tried to kind of say like, "Well, how how would we go about doing that?" And kind of kept getting directed down different channels um when i kind of asked about that among friends and said you know hey i think this is a thing you know it's it's like history was wi- written by the group that didn't get wiped out by smallpox well, um, I mean, um, or whatever other diseases yeah. um but yeah you know that it would be nice if you know Davenport could be one of the communities that kind of honors this additional Um, way of of kind of recognizing our history Um, and that was then I was you know suggested oh you know check out the you know the local group that you know the the Native American coalition and and whatnot Um, so I did and they you know they came to uh, a meeting to present to the Civil Rights Commission um, which then I was ironically invited to stay where I was quoted paraphrasing something that sounded really bad out of context i just, I find that one really ironic
0: you you, you kind of jump forward to where it was going to go next in regard to this conversation, which is another thing i found in my research there 's well it 's a complex issue that I think a lot of people are turning it into a pun fully intended a black and white issue um, and it 's not and I'm sure, like, me merely uttering those words has just caused a number of people listening this to get pissed off at me. But fuck it. You know what? If you can't deal with the truth, if you can't deal with context and perspective, then I'm sorry. Learn those things and then join us back at the grown-up table when you're ready. But there are different – there are more – Nuances to an issue than simply saying somebody is racist or somebody is this or somebody is that because of a nuanced issue. Now, somebody who goes around in a white hood and somebody who goes around touting the Confederacy, like Steve King, for example, it's pretty easy to point to Steve King and go, that guy's a racist because. All indications point to the fact that he is most definitely a racist, regardless of how many times he may deny it. And he doesn't even deny it. So, you know, but on the other hand, I look at you and I had heard thing, you know, before, you know, oh, she's a racist, blah, 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 blah. But then I did my research on you and you were part of the the Affirmative Action Commission. Um. When you first got on the council, uh, you obviously the indigenous peoples thing, there were a number of groups that you were a part of that were fighting for greater rights for minority groups. Um, I mean, your actions do not back up the fact that people are calling you a racist and say that you're a racist. One of the things I found ironic from a karmic standpoint, perhaps is that prior to you being accused of being a racist, you said something to Ray Ambrose in regard to this, um, 2017, you accused him of having saying racist things or harboring, harboring, you know, racist sentiments. And. Would you like to discuss that in terms of... And also, when the tables turned, was Ray kind of like, you know, eh, karma's a bitch or anything? Um, so, we'll start the conversation with that, since, again, I find it a little ironic. But go ahead.
1: So, in in terms of, you know, I I don't say, like, oh, I, I am not racist or, or whatnot. I am actively working on any biases that I may have, because we're all socialized a certain way right. and i will be the first to admit that yes once in a while i've said something stupid or uninformed or whatnot uh that you know usually i later when i found out like the significance of said thing you know i'm aghast and horrified and you know had to kind of go through this long process of like understanding that yes your intentions are great but if your impact is that you hurt somebody your first priority needs to be fixing what you did, you know, apologizing for, for the impact that you had. Um, and so, you know, like you were kind of alluding to, you know, this, it's not necessarily this binary, you know, you know, if you do one thing, you're racist. If you do a different thing, you're not racist. It's this socialization and it's this social construct. And it's one of the things, I think one of the reasons why I get called such names is that I try to point out institutionalized, Racism, This, you know, systemic bias of, you know, say, like with evictions, Um, evictions primarily happen to black women. And that's not because black women can't manage a household or black, you know, Mm. the, the the thing that was happened is that black women were discriminated against. Right. Leading them to have more evictions. And so then supposedly neutral policies like, oh, we don't accept any tenants with evictions end up discriminating against black women, even though they are supposedly neutral on the surface. The the policy is neutral on the surface, but it has a discriminatory effect. Um, And so I think that's something where it's, if you are someone who grew up mostly surrounded by whiteness, that you kind of have to have this moment of like, oh. I'm white, which is not pleasant for most people. Um, you know, it's kind of realizing like, oh, I might have been blind to sometimes when maybe I had a little bit of a tailwind, and if you have a tailwind, that means somebody else probably had a headwind. Mm. Um, and it's not you know universal like you know everything is bad, everything is good, whatnot. You know, once in a while, there are kind of silver lining moments um, if you are in a you know traditionally marginalized group. But that doesn't necessarily make up for all of the other times in which, you know, you, you faced some sort of marginalization or discrimination and just understanding when, you know, the, the little things um, and and when those occur. And, you know, it could be as little as feeling comfortable. And this is something I kind of got into it with somebody once of, of, you know, I feel comfortable when I go to the grocery store. I feel comfortable when I go to school. When I go to work, I feel comfortable 99.9% of the time. Now, some of my friends who have uh, what I call melanin-enhanced skin, <laughs> um, you know, they might get stared at. They might have somebody assuming that they're going to, you know, mug them, mm-hmm. whether or not that is uh, intentional or, you know, kind of under the surface. Um, but, you know, the, all, that little, you know, that the, all the little actions, you know, they add up to a lot. You know, if you're especially if you are a person of color in a workplace, you know, one of my uh, really good friends was the only person of color in her entire 170 some person workplace. Right. Um, she did a great job you know, but it it was always a factor on her mind that she is representing, she's kind of being forced to represent an entire group. And even if she says, you know, this is my single opinion, not, you know, I'm speaking for every black woman that exists on the planet. And that's something that you don't necessarily have to, like, you don't even realize that that weight is not on you if you are a white person, because, you know, there can be a uh, whole spectrum, you know. There's usually a whole spectrum of you know, Euro-American perspectives, um, and so they understand that it's not. Oh, I'm speaking for all all white women right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just there's so many little ways in which race still plays a part in all of our lives whether or not we are consciously aware of it Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you know you need to drop everything and you know change your whole lifestyle so much as maybe just take a minute to question you know your assumptions and your presumptions about how things work Um, there's a great author called uh, robin d'angelo and she gave a good example in one of her books about um, you know, if if a student said, well, when I was growing up, Pluto was a planet. My grandfather knew Pluto was a planet. and My dad knew Pluto was a planet. So Pluto is definitely a planet. Mm-hmm. You would kind of be like, yeah, but there's new science. You know, like the, right. the community came to a new consensus on that. But yet we treat race that way. You know, my, my grandfather knew that this wasn't racist. My dad knew this wasn't racist. And I believe this isn't racist. So it's not racist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, there's even with you know like with my my kids i'm we have to actively go against the bias that is already kind of hidden in society Mm -hmm. um you know even think about hair uh you know people with textured hair know how to do straight hair but people with straight hair don't necessarily know how to do textured hair Mm -hmm. and especially you know like there's still it's 2019 do not pet other humans
0: (laughs) who does that well other than joe biden maybe
1: (laughs) uh you would be amazed if if i've yet to meet a single black woman who hasn't had someone try to touch her hair try to like pet her hair
0: that's honestly something i could say i have never never done so i kind of figured that that might not be a good idea
1: and yet not everyone has learned that so weird Yeah, it's you know don't just just don't pet other humans. Don't invade their personal space. You know I understand that like if it's something you're unfamiliar with, you might be curious, but remind yourself that that is a fully you know sentient human being, and that you know they might not like having to be a curiosity all the time. So figure out a way to you know be respectful, or you know what Google. Right, Google is amazing. You can you know what if you are curious about. Afro-textured hair, Francesca Ramsey. You can Google her. She has a whole bunch of web series on all all sorts of these issues, including hair.
0: Right. So let, and and again, here you give this like elaborate explanation detailed. And it's true. It's like, there are a lot of, there are, and that's my point in terms of a lot of this is like, you know, you can't, it's not binary. It's not either or it's not this person said this thing or they misspoke or whatever at some point and therefore they are automatically labeled this you have to look at the broader context and the other things that are surrounding that that come into this and the other thing is you have to look at you know sometimes you know people evolve sometimes people evolve um it's interesting to me you're right it was just 50 years ago when there was institutionalized discrimination. I mean, it was the 60s. It still is. It's more, you know, it's, it's more coded. It's more coded and subtle. But it was actually institutionalized. No color drinking fountains and wet restrooms and things like that in the 60s, which was just 50 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. So when people look at the quote-unquote rise of racism in times of trump i don't think it's so much the rise as it's just the emboldenment of people to express what they've always felt and to come forward and do so and again that's a that's a nuanced issue i think there are people that i mean to put it into you know terminology people some people can understand that there are spectrums of sexuality and that there are different types of sexuality that people have. And I think it's the same with human behavior. In fact, it is the same with human behavior because I've actually done research on this. There are different, you know, ways in which people hold certain biases and some of which are very subtle, some of which, you know, they're not they don't have evil in their heart or anything like that. They just, that's just the way you've been raised. And you didn't, like you said, you don't even realize, Oh shoot, I, that was not right for me to do that or right for me to think that. But I'd never thought about that before because that's the way I was raised. It's a lot of behaviorism. And then there are people who find out. And at this point still hold ignorant and racist and biased and bigoted views, despite all evidence to the contrary and all societal evidence that these behaviors are repugnant um now the thing that you were quoted as saying that i think generated this firestorm i'm think although there was the civil rights commission thing which also i don't know whether that was gasoline on the fire or what um you said quote if you're poor and black, you're not going to understand the letter in terms of the the Palmer College redistricting. And they sent out a very jargon-filled letter to people around the area. Um, explain that quote. Because honestly, when I saw this, I was like, ugh. That was a stupid thing to say. What you probably should have said was most people are not going to understand this letter because it's true. If you send out a jargon filled letter to anybody, regardless of, I mean, somebody could have, you know, graduated top of their class or something, but if they don't understand this specific jargon, then. Or if they're not familiar with it, they're not going to understand it. it. Has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with ethnicity or you know anything like that. It's just the fact that this is something that was intentionally filled with a lot of verbal gobbledygook that a lot of people wouldn't have understood. However, in the, this quote that you said, um, it did mention specific. Race and economic status. So, explain yourself in terms of this quote.
1: So, I would disagree that I think it does matter because, you know, centuries, you know, however many, centuries, four centuries of discrimination based on race. Are we just going to pretend that that didn't have an effect? Mm -hmm. Are we going to pretend that economic discrimination doesn't have an effect? And that was the conversation that preceded this where I was paraphrasing someone else where it was, you know, if you are someone who's been marginalized and is in a marginalized group, you have systematically been denied the opportunity to learn, you know, the right. things where you would understand this more, jar- you know, jargon-filled letter, right. and the same thing with economic discrimination. If you have to spend the vast majority of your time doing things to survive, right. you don't have time to go up, you know, Maslow's hi- hierarchy of you know fulfilling hierarchy higher function, means, yeah. um, of you know, understanding like, oh, how's this going to impact my neighborhood? Like, you're like, how do I put dinner on the table? Mm. Um, and so. You know what i what i should have said is if you've been discriminated against in a way that will make it harder you know make it less likely that you're going to understand a jargon filled letter then that's you know that the discrimination has had an effect and let's look at which populations have been discriminated against
0: i think it's similar to what joe biden recently said where i he what was it he said um it was something in regard to it was the same type of situation where he said you know um instead of saying poor students he said black students or something like that and i think i mean a a verbal gaffe that he shouldn't have said but when you look at the context of it it's obviously he was taught he was in a situation where they were talking about predominantly african-american people who were in poverty and he was saying something about you know they should have the same opportunities as those that are not
1: well well let's ask about that let's ask about the economic disparity Because that is a very real look at the data, verifiable kind of thing. Oh yeah, there is a a huge disparity when it comes to wealth, and there is a disparity when it comes to income.
0: Yes.
1: So why is that?
0: Well, institutional, as we mentioned, institutionalized discrimination existed up until fifty, up until five decades ago, and then continued to exist uh, as you know coded discrimination or as um, you know under the radar discrimination and continues to exist to this day, which does limit academic and economic opportunities that people would otherwise have.
1: Well, and also think about it in terms of, you know, uh, so veterans that took advantage of the GI Bill, Mm -hmm. if you were allowed to buy in a non-redlined neighborhood, your house created uh, an equity that you were then able to borrow against to send your kids to college their kids got to grow up in a middle class you know, household that was able to have the time to you know, focus on education and, and all sorts of things so three generations down even if the discrimination had completely stopped when it stopped being completely codified which mm, we'll debate a little bit on, on that um, there's still going to be a huge legacy of difference so you know if we solve poverty it will not solve racism if we solve racism it will not solve poverty there are a lot of times when those streams have kind of interacted with each other because economic discrimination has been part of racism right and so you know to to point out that yes there are situations where um the discrimination has had an effect and you know the the challenge is how do we fix it right. at this point? And that's, you know, I want to understand the issue so far as I need to to then be able to come up with some sort of way to start getting it moving in more of a equality, you know, inclusion, acceptance direction. Um, and so, you know, understanding redlining, very important. What do we do now to address formerly redlined areas, blight, things like that, that's for me at least a higher priority and i have gotten frustrated sometimes with you know kind of the the activist community because it's like okay you know yes you do need to be informed about these things but no matter how many times you take the first step of being informed if you don't take subsequent steps of doing something about it then you're not actually improving anyone's lives and that's where i want to be Uh, i want to be You know, I I don't have all the solutions. I barely have any of the solutions. Um, But, you know, wherever I can help to facilitate kind of understanding how the levers work to say, okay, well, so say the problem is that we have, um, you know, evictions or we have um, residents that are, um, you know, not not able to get rentals where they would like. Um, You know, that's something where we offer the service to, uh, landlords to to do screenings. Um, and part of that is that we want to make sure that residents do have the opportunity to live in an environment that is, you know, even if it's, you know, affordable housing, they should not have to put up with neighbors who are going to be bringing any problems to them. Um, and generally, so, you know, they can see why someone was evicted and, and whatnot, um, but that does then kind of create this dilemma of how you know, we don't want to completely cut off someone because they've made a couple mistakes. And so that's something where we're kind of stuck because we don't have the resources to necessarily be able to find a way to help people who are in that kind of trapped spot. Um but then also, we don't want to be getting taken. You know, we want people who are are ready to to work with us. Um, because if someone's going to continue to say like you know they're going to shoot up the neighborhood or or, or whatnot, uh, or you know sell drugs or, or whatnot, that that's that's not something that we want to have other neighbors having to deal with. Right. Um, so it's you know we we provide the service of offering the background checks. Um, you know, we encourage landlords to be responsible. You know, we kind of we enforce, you know, code violations so that residents have good places to live. Um, but it's always this double-edged sword of, you know, we don't want to completely push people out of housing. Um, and it's there's, there's really no good solution.
0: Well, yeah, it's like I mentioned at the onset of this conversation is it, they're complex issues. And I, I don't think it really helps matters to have people hurling accusations that just marginalize people and also accusing people. I mean, there's a difference between making statements that, okay, well, maybe this wasn't the best way to say this, but look at the context of the statement look at the perspective of the statement. You know, um, was there ill intent behind this statement? Was there horrible in your case? Was there horrible racist intent behind the statement that you made and were you harboring this you know racist intent in your heart that continues to permeate your public service and you know harbor these biases that you have and the evidence would show that perhaps not i
1: I would hope not i actually um i have a a mentee and i told her that there are people who think i'm racist and you know she's 12 or 12 at the time, 13 now, but, um, she was like, well, that, that can't be like you, you bought, uh, you know, black Barbie dolls for your, for your kids. And, um, you know, pointed to you know some other things that I, that I've done. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, that's, those are all true statements. I, I did do those things. Um, I don't actively work on, you know, harboring more bias. Um, I recognize that I do have, you know, maybe implicit biases that I, do try to work on and yes I've said things I've said thousands of things there's probably something in this interview that I'm going to come back to and go like oh god why did I say it that way Um, but you know if you're I don't like how things have gotten with, you know, you kind of throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. You know, you kind of alluded to, like, you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with saying you're now speaking from a more informed place. Um, You know, even with, you know, conversations I've had with people who've been kind of working on their racial literacy for a really long time, um, you know, they have said and done things where they're like, oh. Shoot. you know we we're always going to have new things that we you know kind of step in a pile of something brown and you know maybe even if our intent was good you know my my intent was not evil uh, it, with that statement you know i don't think it was reflecting any you know harboring of, of hatred um but i you know i did apologize i do apologize for the the way that that came out i was speaking off the cuff and you know paraphrasing something someone said and it of course got got you know the like you were talking about with the media you know it got bit into a little thing um and, and there was there was an agenda um you know <laughs>
0: uh,
1: if it bleeds it leads uh, the the quote yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and you know uh, I think it would may have been before we were you know started the interview officially, but you know talking about how you know i was I was cheered on when I pointed out kind of the some of the problematic things that a fellow alderman had said mm-hmm. um you know including well, let's just say there were some problematic statements mm-hmm. that uh i've I've heard about. Um, not to mention, you know, open advocacy for not having uh, protections for LGBT um, right. Americans. You know, that was just before m- meetings started getting recorded, of course. But, you know, I just I find it very funny that, you know, he's now being embraced by this community of activists because he supports their interests right now. But yet, you know, they're, the, the history of openly advocating against them having protections, you know, it's I. I would much rather have somebody who fights for my rights than somebody who's nice to me. Right. And I think most people probably feel that way. Um, but most people are busy living their lives. You know, you gotta go to work. Gotta take the care of the kids. You gotta, you know, squeeze in a vacation once in a while, maybe if you're really lucky. <laughs>
0: right. Well, that's what I mean. Is like, it? You know, it's it's perspective. Everybody, every single person. Even those people on the far left, even those people on the far right, you know, all of them have biases. All of them do. All of them have some form of bias or bigotry or whatever. And it all comes from how we were raised, the environment in which we were raised in. I was. I lived in a big city. If I lived in a rural area, it would have been me and all the rest of the Whitey McWhitersons, and that would have been it. I lived in a big city. I lived around Chicago. I lived in Joliet very high minority communities so i knew a lot of people who were of different cultures i played soccer so i met kids from all over the globe really so i was raised in a very different environment i mean being in the arts i was around a lot of people who were lgbtq you know i mean so my background informs the person that i am and informs the evolution that i have and so it's 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 um, I could easily point to somebody who's maybe grew up in a very small rural town and be like, you know, oh, that person's, you know, bigot or hick, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and they very well may have racism and bigotry in their hearts. But also the fact of the matter is, is that's a product of their environment. And the only way that's going to change is by acknowledging the fact that we're all products of our environment. And also instead of being so quick to condemn people who seem to be making an honest attempt to assimilate these things and to evolve such as yourself, instead of being quick to condemn someone like you, maybe there should be a little bit more efforts to understand and to have a communicative dialogue and to see that perspective in that context i'm not saying that you know people who are on the far extreme i'm not saying oh go up to the people with tiki torches and be like you know hey let's have a talk i'm talking more people who are in the middle you me other various people who you know we're trying our best we're trying to evolve we're trying to be good people we're trying to you know be you know equal in our behaviors and our treatments of, of anybody regardless of type of person they are. I mean like I always say to my son, I'm trying to teach him and I'm like, listen, what it doesn't matter what the color of anybody's skin is, doesn't matter if they like the same sex or different people or whatever. All that matters is if they're a good person. If they're cool to you, then be cool to them. If you see them being a good person just in general, then you know, encourage that. But
1: but also don't be blind to the difference of their lived experience. Right. Um, well, and quick to circle back to, you know, I, I don't bother with like name calling or any of the, you know, calling someone bigoted or racist. I say they have a poverty of experience because mm. that's what it is, is that they did not. Experience people who were different them than them, and even you know, I mean, we've had a lot of kind of high profile cases of people saying like, even though they had that exposure and that you know awareness, like we were talking about earlier, they didn't take it to the next step of understanding. In mm-hmm. um, a you know another example from the, the Robin D'Angelo books, that um, you know a gentleman who had been friends with someone who was black, you know, a white gentleman who had been friends with someone who was black. You know they started talking about you know some cultural issue, and the the white gentleman was completely blown away by how differently the news had affected his mm-hmm. friend, and it just hadn't occurred to him. They'd been friends for like twenty years, and it just right. hadn't occurred to him to ask, "Is this something that's different from you?" So you know if you do have a poverty of experience in a certain area seek it out seek out different narratives you know not every single one and it doesn't all have to be you know non you know study your textbook kind of thing it can be just you know go to your local bookstore and find a story written by somebody who grew up in a different country or somebody who grew up in a neighborhood that was not similar to yours at
0: all and that actually that harkens to a couple of columns that i wrote when i was at the newspaper and um, At first, I had some people who were going, uh, that's too simplistic, blah, blah, blah. But I would argue otherwise that Michael Jordan and the Queer Eye guys and Will and Grace had so much to do, Ellen DeGeneres too, had so much to do with, and although certainly he has a gigantic stigma about him right now, but Bill Cosby had so much to do with people becoming more comfortable and more accepting of people different from them because if you're living in a town where everybody is one color is mostly white and the people are not, openly gay they may be gay but they're sure not out of the closet about it then you don't have any exposure to that you could go your the majority of your entire life at least your first 18 years without any exposure to anyone who's different from that very homogenous group but television and entertainment sports movies they have a way they are ubiquitous they permeate everywhere, regardless of how rural the community is. Everybody wants to see popular movies, watch sports games, wants to you know listen to popular music. And so that, in a strange way, helps with that assimilation to a certain extent. That if you see positive representations of certain groups within entertainment, then it makes people who don't otherwise have the opportunity to encounter those people more comfortable with them. Like you see somebody like Ellen DeGeneres who's just beloved and I think she did have a lot. She was a trailblazer. She was somebody who had a lot to do with middle America and rural America accepting people that were were different.
1: And I, one kind of caveat that I would add to that is really to focus on kind of people telling their own stories. Um, because, you know, yeah, we've seen a lot of, especially lately, kind of media representations of black Americans. But they're not necessarily being told by black Americans, you know, it's, you know, there's this term called, you know, white savior (laughs) where, you know, you go see Green Book and, you know, oh, I feel great about being a white person now. Okay. It's not even about the Green Book for starters. Um, and it's, you know, that if you're basically watching the story, like, yes, you got, might get a positive representation of somebody different than you, but if the character you're identifying with is the one who saves them, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that they, they don't need saving; they just need us to stop. You know, having our foot on their neck.
0: Well, yeah. Well, and as a writer, I can't stand movies like that because it's a lazy and cliche plot device. But I'm talking more about like you know television shows and things, and sports and things of that nature, in which there isn't so much a character as it's more kind of a naturalistic thing, and also. The people who are in rural areas don't have the opportunity to hear directly from you know other people, and that's the thing
1: i mean there there are books, you know yeah. there are narratives, you can read memoirs um, you know it it takes a little bit of digging. Um, But, you know, Google, you know, memoir of, you know, someone from, uh, you know, the inner city or something. You know, there's there's enough narratives. You know, there's uh, Corey Pegues. There's um, I'm trying to remember who wrote The Warmth of Other Suns. Mm -hmm. There are enough either nonfiction or fiction stories written by authors of color telling their own story That, you know, you don't necessarily have to go, even if you live, you know, somewhere where you're very far away, where you've got a big poverty of experience because you haven't had that direct exposure, you can get kind of the firsthand experience from uh, a book. It's not necessarily, you know, you're not necessarily going to find it in a web series, but maybe you can find a YouTube channel and hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, watch out for, um, you know, kind of a situation where someone of a marginalized group might be. Kind of saying what they think people want to hear, mm-hmm. um, you know but the the way that to to guard against that is get many 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 perspectives you know remind yourself that you can 't just watch one video and say, Oh, I know what this group thinks now
0: mm-hmm. you know what I think it would be cool would be this idea just came out of this is in every school there's require requ- the required reading, and it would be really interesting, really cool is if The, um, rural communities, some of the required reading was people from a different perspective and likewise for people in the inner cities. Like there should be a percentage of required reading within different communities that exposes them to people of different communities and people in different voices. And, and so that way they can get that exposure to different people. And I know that ideally English teachers like to do that, which is why you see, you know, like to kill a mockingbird and, you know, thing books, uh, Huckleberry Finn books of that nature that have had, They try to open up those doors a little bit with some of those things. Toni Morrison is one that tends to be, you know, Beloved, Bluest Eye, tends to be incorporated into the curriculum. But it would be if there was more of an effort to have a certain percentage of reading material that um, allows for exposure to different cultures and to different points of view, I think that would would certainly be um, helpful.
1: Well, and if it goes beyond kind of the the comfortable reading, right. you know, I mean, you know, if you read, you know, some Langston Hughes poems, you're not always going to feel comfortable afterwards. And that's, you know, it's kind of one of those things where as a learner, you should always be willing to kind of push yourself through a level of discomfort in learning new things. You know, it's it's unpleasant to realize like, oh, I've been doing something wrong. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of people kind of hold more firmly to views that, you know, maybe there's contradictory evidence Mm -hmm. that, you know, that that maybe their views, because to accept that they've done something harmful is kind of so psychologically painful that it's better to just double down on, well, no, I was definitely right. Um, But, you know, if you can, as a learner, say, you know, ouch, that was painful, like, I realized, and I've had this dozens of times at least, wow, I said something really stupid. Um, you know, you, you apologize and you hope that whoever you're talking to is, is kind of willing to work with you as you are and, you know, just put in as much effort as you can to uh, do better.
0: Maria, I say something stupid on a daily basis <laughs> that I usually regret, and I think most people do. I think, but, but but I think that that's a good thing. Is it's I'd much rather be around people that aren't afraid to say something and aren't afraid to communicate something. I'd much rather be around those people than people who are um, more um, rigid in their thinking. And either they surround themselves with people that do nothing but think the exact same way as them, or they keep everything to themselves and everything is superficial. And then they God only knows what's going on behind the curtain or what they harbor in their heart. And so that, I think, is a gigantic problem in society just in general. And we see that with, you know, a lot of the divisions in society as people are afraid to talk about things or afraid to talk about different items within context and within perspective and to get nuance to it and to find out the facts of things, which is, you know, why one of the reasons I started this podcast and why I wanted to have you on here to talk about this kind of stuff. So let's talk about something else that again, the media has certain, the media has painted this a certain way within a shorthand of it. And we've seen a lot of blowback in regard to it, a lot of blowback towards you in regard to it, the civil rights commission and that issue. I I mean having read stories about it I still don't get it. I still don't understand the entire story. From what I gather, there were three people whose contracts expired. Um that their contracts were expired. So then it's up to the powers that be as to whether or not they're going to renew their contracts. The powers that be decided not to return their not to renew their contracts. I still have yet to read, and this is after reading three, four stories on this, I still have yet to see reasons for termination. And I do realize that legally, cities sometimes cannot give reasons for termination or reasons not to um, not to renew a contract because they don't want to get into the legal aspects of that. Um, but for whatever reason, the contracts were not renewed. Then there were four new people that were going to be brought aboard. I believe um am I right in that i there's the number There were new people that were going to be brought aboard, but then there were people that were angry because the new people were going to be brought aboard, and then the city council, you know, all signed a letter and Mike Matson said he didn't sign the letter and his signature was forged. So this is what I'm recapping and I'm sure people listening to this are going, "Jesus Christ, you sound totally confused." And yes, exactly, because that's what just reading the stories in the newspaper will get you. That that I do not have an adequate grasp of this situation. So I'm going to ask you as an insider, and I understand that there are certain things that maybe you can't say for legal reasons or protocol or whatever. Tell us the story of what is going on in full with all the context and perspective on it so that we can have a better understanding of exactly what the hell is happening here.
1: Okay. So there are, for separation of powers reasons, there are uh, this this member board that is seven people is charged with managing um, employees of the civil rights department, or they're they're supposed to be charged with managing the employees. And now, actually, other cities don't even have an employee, have any employees in their civil rights department. They contract out the legal work, and then it's decided by. the commission of those various cities. So, but in Davenport, those seven people were charged with employee oversight. We had an uh, incident where the person who was employed by those seven members found property damage on her vehicle and um, came to the conclusion that it was her ex-boyfriend and so she took a two-pound sledgehammer to his, res- to his place of work, I mean, and she proceeded to beat him up with the two-pound sledgehammer. And then, um, you know, things, things went on from there. Uh-huh. And so some of the members of council, when that was not addressed, because we did not feel that that was appropriate behavior for a department head...
0: It's probably not appropriate behavior for anyone, really. I. It doesn't even get into the eye for an eye or like a property damage for a property damage. Somebody damages your car, reasonably speaking. Are you go going... and I'm not. I'm not saying do not take this as an admission of guilt or any sort of endorsement of this behavior. But one would think that if someone damages your car, then an equal reciprocation of that would be damaging their car in return i'm not saying this behavior is any in any way or shape or form acceptable i'm just looking at it from a logical perspective of tit for tat
1: no comment on that but in terms of what precipitated um the proposal of um tweaking the ordinance so that there was more oversight of staff um and it it blew up in the media and it's you know one of those things where people tell the story that they they want to tell that they want to hear Um, You know, it it started being told as we were changing the actual civil rights, that we were changing, um, you know, the process of how complaints were going to be dealt with, that we were going to have, you know, political actors um, interfering with um, political, with, you know, civil rights decisions. That was never, ever on the table. We have no interest. We don't want to know about it. That is separate for a reason. There is supposed there is that seven person hearing board. And that that should be their primary function, is to decide the cases based on the evidence presented. Right. And so we were never, we we would rename that so for clarification that it would be the hearing board. That was, that was the original proposal that it would be the hearing board. And then the thing where I think all that confusion came from was at one point it was who was going to be the staff oversight people. Um, that if we were going to have staff, that it would be better to separate out and have Um, you know, a separate, you know, three people that would specifically manage HR decisions have human resources experience and not be the ones, because the hearing board is kind of dependent Mm -hmm. on the person who brings them the information about how to decide cases. And so it's not really the best system to then also have them be you know, to have them be dependent on her or him, if if it was someone else, Um, but then also supposed to be supervising. And so we proposed having a supervisory set of people and a set of people to make the decisions.
0: Now, would there be any change in the number of people?
1: There would be an addition of three people that had nothing to do with the actual civil rights cases. They would just be in charge of staff.
0: So they'd be supervising.
1: So they would be supervising to make sure that legal work is de- getting done, basically. So civil rights, you know, there's a lot of um, legal. It's basically legal work to uh-huh. to check right, right, yeah. what, what what happened. Um, and so, you know, the the biggest difference would be that instead of having the seven group of people being supervisors and dependent, hmm. there would be the, the seven people that would decide the civil rights cases and then a separate three people who would manage staff.
0: So you're actually adding people. Correct. So what was the... the well, I, don't, I don't understand the... If you're actually adding people to the to the group and adding more staff, I'm not quite sure what the... Then I, I'm I'm not sure what the um, the problem once people had with that. So explain I don't know explain that to me.
1: So we weren't adding staff. We were just we were adding addition. We were talking about adding additional an additional kind of sub commission, basically splitting okay. up the the commission to have the people who are already there, not right. changing any people, okay. but adding an additional th- three people who would supervise. I think we have like 4.5 employees in the the civil rights department.
0: Um, why do you need 3 people to supervise 4.5 employees?
1: Well, mostly you need, you need a, a committee basically because um, you know, the the other way it could be done is like Bettendorf does, you know, they just have the city administrator contract out the work.
0: How many how many employees are there within the Civil Rights Commission group?
1: So, and this is where I think there was some confusion. So there's the, the seven people who um, whose term, or, you know, have term, you know, have our long year terms. Uh-huh. Um, they are not employees. They're not paid. They are citizens. Okay. They decide on the cases. We have some employees, you know, one of whom is like a clerical, um, but most of whom are, are legal employees who do kind of the, the legal work to sure. um, try to decide on cases you know get get the information they don't decide on the cases they present the information to the decide on the cases
0: why were the three people removed or why were they why was their Why were their contracts allowed to expire Uh,
1: you know terms expire um we the mayor thought that it was time to well actually so the the proposal to um to change the oversight was august um and so that's kind of what started kind of the, the social media misinformation campaign um, because in or I'm, I'm going to get my so the, the uh, event that made some of the council members, including myself, say, like, gee, maybe something's wrong here was that the people who were supposed to so- supervise the staff member. Saw this particular step. I
0: mean, the sledgehammer. Why don't you just fire somebody? I mean, honestly, I, I, it just seems like common sense. If you or I or anybody, I don't care what color your skin is or if you're man, woman, whatever. I mean, if you walk into that's assault. You walk into anybody's place of business or whatever, you take a sledgehammer to somebody, that's assault. That's you know, you're gonna go into jail. <laughs> and that's probably not a, you know, probably not a good thing, especially if you're a public employee. I mean, why not just fire the person that did that and move on?
1: That was that decision was in the hands of those seven members and they did not um There was not any public record of any um, kind of, I'm trying to think of the word and I'm blanking out right now, but that there was no punishment as far as we could tell publicly um, for that. And actually, so... Other uh, employees that were under the regular contract who report- was, was
0: there punishment outside of the job? I mean did the person get booked and charged and stuff and put in jail or are they being charged or what?
1: Uh, she was arrested. It ended in a mistrial Okay. Um, so yeah, when the when those seven members who are supposed to be doing staff oversight saw their employee that they're supposed to be supervising Assault a community member, right. and then um, you know they, they saw other employees get a raise, you know a cost of living raise because it was you know part of their contract that that contract was that they're under the city administrator's purview. And they saw that pers- you know the other employees getting a, a cost of living increase. So instead of letting go the employee who assaulted someone, they gave her a cost of living increase. Which um, I should also note that several years ago that same employee asked for a raise that was roughly the tune of $22,000 a year that then put her department out of, like her budget, her department over budget, um, and the commission decided that, that that the commission who was supervising at the time said, yes, we think you deserve that extra money um, without, and there, it's it's good in a sense to have a civil rights commission that has independence from the rest of the city but when they're making decisions that go kind of outside their purview then maybe we need to be talking about what's going on
0: well was was the person who you know the sledgehammer person were they a friend of somebody who was on the commission or were they friends with somebody who was on the commission i mean was that something provable where you could say oh well it's so and so's they were you know the matron of honor at their wedding or something like that or whatever and that's why they're giving them preferential treatment because obviously you know you would think that i don't know i mean aside from the gigantic raise, which also would i guess raise eyebrows but i can't imagine most people like assaulting someone with a sledgehammer and still like coming into their job and being like in the job being like yeah sure thing and here's a raise by the way i just can't imagine that
1: And that's why that raised some eyebrows from some of the council members that we were very concerned that our city was being represented in the way where, you know, people, you know, there's there's even people now who say, well, why don't you just fire her? And it's because that is up to her. Her employment is up to the seven members, three of which won't be recognized because they're not recognizing the terms expiring and the appointments made. And then the four that are being allowed to serve are being told by the person who is interested that they're not allowed to make a decision unless there's a quorum, which according to that same person is five. And so we have cases that have been you know, waiting two and three years to be decided that can't go forward because they're not being allowed to
0: why don't you just get rid of the three people whose contracts have expired? If That's the log jam. I mean, I, honestly, I don't really see, I don't see where the, you know, I I don't see where the conflict is. If somebody, if if you have three people, people whose contracts have expired and you don't renew the contracts, then you don't renew the contracts. I mean, that, are you like, I mean, because from what I was, I mean, in social media, it was like people were saying that like, oh, you're completely disbanding it and getting rid of it. And The city's not even gonna have a civil rights commission or anything like that But from what you're telling me all it is is basically there are three people's contracts expire the city was looking to Find three new people and put them in there and keep the other four. Is that correct?
1: So there were two stages so uh, we proposed the separation which would have kept the seven member hearing board as it was and added people and then when that uh, got politically charged and as you mentioned social media there's a lot of misleading or false right. narratives out, out there about it um, so when three people's terms came up they refused to stop participating and they're still participating to this day they refused to let the people who were appointed serve
0: what can you do about that I and mean, that's just it just seems ridiculous I mean why not just respect the terms ending you know i don't
1: don't if if you can figure out an answer i'd be thrilled to know it
0: (laughs) i don't know i don't i don't know the bylaws of the city in terms of this but yeah that just seems kind of a a ridiculous problem and then obviously i mean i don't know yeah i i don't know all the situation in terms of what led to this woman take you know bringing a sledgehammer in i don't know was there any was there an investigation in regard to this was she sexually or physically abused by the ex or was it merely the you know damage to the car that was the trigger point for this
1: Uh, there is a lengthy police report i'm not sure if that is public information or Uh not
0: okay so you can't go into it but obviously, the very.
1: But it's not, the, the situation that day was that she found property damage and she went to his place of work. And I've talked to enough abuse survivors that if abuse was the uh, precipitating incident, that is not the course of action that would be taken.
0: Were, I mean, why didn't she just call the police and let and tell them, was there any previous harassment on the case of the guy leading up to her car being... I mean, I don't even know what happened to the car. And, I mean, wouldn't you call the cops after the car? Because then, I mean, yeah, you got to call the cops because you got to report it for insurance purposes.
1: Yeah, and the, the cops did arrive, but between, I think between... The time when the cops were called to report the damage, and when they got back to talk to the officers, that was the time span when she went to his place of work. And I've seen the video, and she's very clearly the aggressor.
0: Have you, I, I mean, obviously, there are city attorneys and people of that nature who are on retainer to deal with things like this. Um it seems like the longer that this goes on without somebody just taking charge and saying to hell with it, if people like this or not, we're getting the lawyers involved and we're making a decision here instead of letting it linger and just costing the city more money and just letting it linger because everybody's too afraid to make a damn decision on it.
1: And we've gotten legal in- opinions, internal and external, and they've all said These are the commission members who should serve. It is the ones that the mayor appointed back uh, when the three terms expired. And then when the former member, the four members that had still had terms um, signed a letter saying that we're not going to work, we're not going to recognize the new people, they were removed and four other ones were Uh, replaced which ironically those ones are being recognized but the ones that were uh, appointed to serve in the the spaces where the three terms that has expired are not being recognized
0: i gotta ask this because obviously you know you get people are again slinging your things around and calling you a racist because of this is there any different racial composition within three new people Than the three older people that were there before is there like, you know, did you all of a sudden Appoint well here are three white people or three other people who aren't people of color or whatever to the commission and we're taking off three people of color so, I mean, is there any sort of? racial component to it that would um, Precipitate anyone thinking that it was a racially motivated decision
1: I believe the composition was pretty comparable the three members who are not being allowed to serve, uh, one of whom is in two protected classes he is black and he is over 40. Um, the another is, uh i think age is the only protected class that he's in um and then the other is is the woman i'm not sure how old she is but she's also also black um i did find it interesting there was kind of a like a social media smear against those three appointees and you know those
0: are the three appointees or the three people that were current were whose contracts expired. So the three appointees, there was an African-American male who was older. Um, It was a white male who was older. And it was an African-American female who was older.
1: Yes. Yes, those are the people who the mayor was trying to appoint.
0: Okay. Now, what is the composition of the people that he's trying to replace or that he's, you know, their contracts have expired and he's trying to replace?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember. One was uh, an older uh or um, age protected female uh who also had um mobility challenges um i think the other was but she was white yes okay. um one was black and i'm i'm honestly blanking on <laughs> it's, it's been so much That's i fine. can't keep track of um but you know the the you know it wasn't necessarily a one for one but it, we were not you know taking off three black people and putting on three white people if that's the question
0: that's the question because when people bring race into it, then that's what I'm curious about and I could see their point I mean if you're removing three African American people and putting three white people on there or two white people and an african american person i could I can see the point that it could look racially motivated and that's why I asked the question is you know it seems as if it was it kind of in terms of solely the racial component, it seemed like it was than even swap more or less in terms of representation
1: well and i find it kind of ironic that um you know that that the mayor is being painted this way because you know <laughs> i i know very few people who are racist against their own grandchildren and he has four adopt you know kids uh, uh, ethiopian grandchildren and i don't want to you know say like oh well you can't be black you know, racist if you have a black family member um, but in terms of, you know, the, the things that he has done in the community and the, the impact that he has had has been actively to combat um, systematic inequalities, whether that not that is specifically targeted to race or if it's more income or, or things like that. But, you know, he's, he's not out there trying to, you know, make money off subprime loans. He was, you know, running the Y you know <laughs> right. i just i just find it just berserk and you know other people who have, have talked to me are like you know like wait why do they think frank is racist what that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm.
0: how do you think this well i don't know i could like it like, like i think a lot of times when you look at the extremes of either side people find whatever reaffirms what they think in the first place. It's the same thing when you look at social media or anything like that. People don't, or if you get, you know, into an argument on pe- with people on social media, which is why I try not to do it, because all people want is to find things that reaffirm things that they already believe. They don't necessarily want to have their mind changed. They don't want to think about the nuances of a situation. They don't want to think about the context or the perspective of it. They have an opinion, and then a group of people around them support that opinion and 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 it's an echo chamber and then you know it's that group of people that oh this you know this definitely happened or this is definitely the case on something and Just in general, I mean, just that—that's in terms of communication, in terms of society, that tends to be harmful to an open dialogue or, or the evolution that we were talking about in terms of anybody changing their mind on anything. Um, But you know, you find it within every—I mean, you find it junior high. So you know, a rumor goes around and it must be true. I mean, I was—I just posted something like this on Facebook yesterday because there's a there's a a persistent rumor that's gone around that that my one of my closest friends Tristan Tapscott and I had a brothel underneath the Argus building in downtown Rock Island, which is awesome. I know it's it's so ridiculously ludicrous, but it continues to like pop up to this day. Every once in a while somebody will ask me about it. And so I imagine if people are actually addressing it directly with me, then there's certainly a lot of people out there behind my back or behind his back that that go on about this as if it's something that's real. And it's just so patently ludicrous that it's it's funny. Especially if you've ever been in the basement of the Argus building, which is absolutely disgusting and prone to flooding and full of a bunch of moldy newspapers. But, you know, nevertheless, but it's an interesting look at the way it's confirmation bias. I don't care if people don't like me. If people hear stuff about me, that's absolute bullshit and they're going to believe it. Then that means they wanted a reason to dislike me in the first place. There was some reason that they wanted to find whatever they had, some sort of intrinsic bias. And it's the same towards, and this is the same thing that generates racism. It's the same thing that generates bigotry and, you know, whenever you hear a certain amount of news, when somebody who's intrinsically racist, um, here's something that's bad about a certain group that they're bigoted against oh yeah of course that's you know them people blah 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 and they should be you know responsible for that and it's the same thing about it's the same thing towards you where i think people um instantly click you know they heard you know, they'd heard the things before about you. They've made up their mind about you. And now this civil rights commission thing comes up and instantly, because I would see it with people, you know, posting things and they're like, well, of course she's racist. So of course she's going to say that people literally said almost exact, I'm like, pra- paraphrasing almost exact quotes where, well, she's racist anyway. So of course she's going to think that, but that's the danger in that. That's a danger in kind of assuming something right away. And maybe I would have come to your house and you would have had like, you know, a nazi flag on the wall or you know a confederate you know like showed up and, and talking about mein camp or, or whatever but you aren't you obviously like that's why you know i wanted to talk to you about this to put some perspective on it and put some context on it and hear what you actually had to say and i think that that's probably the best course of action in terms of the civil rights commission thing is to be as transparent as possible in regard to it in the situation at hand
1: but that's the thing is that we were transparent and people would ask, well why didn't you tell your why didn't you you know, explain your side of the story? We did. No nobody shared it. You know, like you're talking about. It's it's the confirmation bias. You know, they they heard this version that we were abolishing the Civil Rights Commission and we were, you know, going to, you know, add political cronyism into it. Um, and it's you know like you said it's it's funny for your case where you know they still believe you're you know harboring you know a party in the basement of the Argus or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it's it's not as funny because you have people who really deserve justice whose cases are being stalled because a couple of very loud squeaky wheels have distorted. Reality and are very good at getting their version of the story out, and so you have people, you have the most marginalized people suffering, while you know there's this guise of oh we're fighting for them, but you're actually stamping on their neck.
0: Mm -hmm. So, um, any last words in terms of that situation?
1: I mean, you know, there's there's an election this November, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I would. I would look at the candidates who are most interested in good governance, who are, uh, you know, willing to do the unpopular thing that will actually be good in the long term.
0: Mm. Looking at the election, um, who, if you want to say anyone, who do you like for mayor?
1: Uh, You know, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but you know what? Who cares, right? Um, I'm supporting Rita Rawson. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, she is been willing to do the steps to craft policy that will actually make a difference. You know, this, this urban revitalization thing, the Dream Project, That will, you know, we might not see, you know, huge ripples, but it's, you know, like a raindrop hitting a, uh, you know, a pond of water. You know, you see the little ripple and it gets bigger, it gets bigger, it gets gets bigger. Whereas, you know, things like Davenport Now that um, I'll explain briefly because otherwise people are going to be really confused. um, It basically subsidized new construction and unintentionally promoted more kind of sprawl. Um, And so, you know, it's one of those things where it it might sound good and, you know, I'm just, I'm really tired of kind of like, oh, the bells and whistles, it sounds great. You know, I'm, oh, I'm totally with you. Um, I'd rather see your actions, Mm. you know, and in terms of actions, I don't think that there's anyone who has put in more kind of time and energy on those seed projects that really empower people's lives than Rita. Um, and I will also add, because I, I think that this is, so, you know, people kind of want to figure out, well, how, what do I do, you know, to what do I do to make my city more inclusive and whatnot? Um, and it's not necessarily, you know, going to a protest. You don't have to be confrontational. You don't have to run for office, though. You really, really, really should vote. Um, you know, you don't have to tell people, you know, this is the way you should do. But, you know, if you have someone who says something problematic, um, you know, maybe do say like oh hey that kind of makes me uncomfortable you know it, it doesn't have to be you know i think you're wrong i think you're a terrible person but like hey you know i don't i don't think that you know i think that might be based on a stereotype or where do you hear that or, or something like that um and you volunteer we have so many areas where a little volunteering could go a long way whether it's the food bank or you know sign up to be like a big brother through Big brothers big sisters um you can there's a great program that i volunteer with it's court appointed special advocate where you um basically get to be an advocate for a kid in the foster care system which you know uh, that's there's so many people that come in and out of those kids lives that having a constant is really valuable um and so there are there are a hundred little ways in which you can empower you know one person's life and it might not necessarily be oh you know i'm gonna you know cure all the racial ills with this one little action um and it doesn't even necessarily have to be you know you know you want to help with lgbt or or, racial issues or something like that if you do want to volunteer at you know a center where they focus on you know a particular issue that's great but honestly just you know going and volunteering at your local school to read to kids it's there's a concept called targeted universalism where you know it if you help the most needy you're always going to help the most marginalized because the most marginalized, you know, marginalization has an effect. And, you know, that's so that's going to help kids. It's going to be the thing that actually is a rising tide that lifts all boats, not, you know, tying somebody at the bottom and then filling the tub with water.
0: Cool. Maria Dickman, thank you so much for your time. Any last words before we we sign off here?
1: Um, I probably forgot to answer some questions because I got so excited about <laughs> storytelling. Um. But you know i'm I'm excited for hopefully you know doing another uh, couple years and um, you know it's any time that someone can spend to like understand an issue a little better and just don't be afraid of nuance you know I know it's it's so easy and don't join bandwagons you know I, I, especially with the internet these days it's so easy to join a bandwagon
0: and I that's think- one thing that I always say that people like because I've been whenever I make because when I've had Republicans on the show and I've like agreed with them on certain things then I've been called like you know Nazi sympathizer or whatever not Nazi but you know like I've been oh you're on the right wing blah 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 and then I'll have like you know left-wing people on, Democrats on, and I'll agree with them on a lot of things. And then, oh, you're a libtard, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't think there should be any political parties, honestly. I don't like groups in general, because whenever you have to join a group, you have to surrender a part of your individuality and your ability to make a distinct decision that is based completely on your responsibility for your own actions and your own thoughts. And I always like just being me, and because I can take responsibility for what I do and what I say and not have to worry about the other people that are around me. So I always think it's always best to just kind of maintain your own path.
1: Well, we've been fighting the, uh, the idea of political parties since the inception of the country. You know, people, uh, you know, we we actually did sacrifice a political party at one point and then another one sprang up in its mm-hmm. place. Um, but no, I do. I mean, you know, I I don't associate it with uh, any of or either of the major political parties on the local level because all the people who I used to be friends with with one decided to try and burn me at the stake. Um but, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the why not to join bandwagons is, you know, the, first of all, it's public shaming. And that's just really, as someone who's experienced it, it's it's really unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, you're, you're probably going to learn a lot more from understanding, like, why is this becoming a hot button issue? Instead wow. of just saying, you know, I'm going to add the 300th, you know, oh, I hate you to this. Um, you know, like there was... Um, there was a case a couple of years ago where someone you know made kind of an off color joke on twitter and it, you know then she went on like a 6 hour flight and it got picked up by somebody and she just made a bunch of really stupid jokes that she you know thought she was primarily sharing with her friend well when she gets to her destination she's lost her job she's you know um been publicly disgraced you know she's you know on the verge of you know killing herself because um you know one one poor judgment um has led her to this place where now she's got you know nothing So yeah, you know, uh, be willing to, you know, understand nuance and um don't jump on bandwagon's and vote and yada yada volunteer. <laughs>
0: I think people will remember the yada yada part, Maria. So, again, thank you very much, Maria Dickman, uh, second ward alderman here in Davenport. And I hope that whenever I have issues in terms of Davenport to discuss that you will, again, return to the show since you are the only person in Davenport government that has agreed to be on the show up to this point. Is Was it, was it really that scary, Maria?
1: I'm afraid of nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell the mayor and all the rest of them to, you know, agree to be on the show too, because I'd like to talk to them and get their opinions. So thank you very much for listening again to QC uncut, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with me, your host, Sean Leary. Um, Whether you liked or disliked or whatever, I hope that you found it entertaining and enlightening. I hope that you found it interesting. And above all, I hope that you learned something new from talking, from listening to this discussion. So thanks a lot for listening. And tune in again to QC Uncut. I'm Sean Leary. Have a great day.